morning. I'll get my stand set up here. I hope everyone had a very good Thanksgiving. Pastor Bill is away on vacation today, so I'm, I have this privilege of teaching us this morning. My name is Dan. I'm the children's pastor here at Great Oaks. Today we are going to be studying out of, out of the book of Matthew, chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, I said you please open up to Matthew, chapter 11. Uh, something I like to do when I get up here to teach is to always try to put some kind of context to the passage that we're studying that day. Especially on days like today when it's a, a standalone message. There's no, there's no series attached to it, right? So we're just going to jump into a passage and we're going to study it. But sometimes that can be confusing. Because uh, sometimes we jump in there and we're like, now who said this? And where were they at? And who were they talking to? And what was going on? Right? That's kind of how I am if I just open up the Bible and jump into a passage. So this morning, since these are the words of Jesus that we're going to be studying this morning... I wanted to give us a very brief timeline of the life of Jesus up until this point in his life that takes place in Matthew chapter 11. So I'm going to give you just a very quick synopsis of his life up until this point. To do that, I'm going to use a map up here on our screen and my trusty laser pointer. This is like so cool. All right. There. Okay. Okay. All right, so this is Israel in the life, or like in, during the time of the life of Jesus when he was walking on earth. And, um, and we're going to start out here, down here in Bethlehem, which is just south of Jerusalem. All right, so that's where Jesus was born. We're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks. Um, so this is where Jesus stayed until he was about two years old. Then God sent an angel to Joseph, and he told Joseph, Joseph, take Mary and take Jesus and get out of there, go to Egypt, because King Herod is going to try to kill Jesus. All right, so, th so Joseph takes Mary and Jesus, and they go down here to Egypt, which is not on the map, but this is about where Egypt would be. It would be right over there in that blank spot. Okay, so they go down to Egypt for a few years. And then God sends another angel to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, King Herod is dead, and, and the people who wanted Jesus... They're all dead up in Israel. So it's okay to go back to Israel. All right, so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they pack their bags up and they head back up to Israel. Now, now on their way, God sends another angel to Joseph. And he says, Joseph, King Herod's son is now the king of Judea, which is that district there in Israel. And uh, so it's best for you to keep on going up to Galilee. All right, so instead of coming back down here to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary go all the way up here, and they go up here to Nazareth. That is the town that Joseph and Mary started their journey from when they went down to Bethlehem, all right? Uh, so they go back up to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grows up. All right, so he grows up in Nazareth, uh, he was there through his childhood years, his teenage years, and then also most of his young adult years. Now, occasionally the Bible tells us that Joseph and Mary would travel down here to Jerusalem uh, 
for, for Passover feast or for important Jewish feast. All right? but, they would, but after that time was over, then they'd go back home to Nazareth. All right, so that's where Jesus grew up, there in Nazareth. There's, that, there's even a, uh, like a prophecy saying that, that the Son of Man would come from Nazareth, okay, so that he was a Nazarene. Well, there it is. That's why, because he grew up in Nazareth. And then, after Jesus turned right around the age of 30, Jesus knew it was time for him to begin his public ministry. So then Jesus starts his ministry by going to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was somewhere down around here, around the Jordan River. Okay, so John the Baptist was sent out by God to prepare the hearts of the people to get ready for the Messiah. That was his job. Okay, so Jesus goes to John the Baptist, who's actually his cousin, all right? And he goes to John the Baptist, and he gets baptized by John, all right? Like I said, probably somewhere around here. As soon as that was done, then Jesus comes out here to the desert of Judea. As, as soon as he was baptized, he goes to the desert, and he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. And that's the time when he's tempted by Satan, Right? Satan comes to him and he tempts Jesus to bow down to Satan. Of course, Jesus didn't do that. As soon as that was over, Jesus then starts to choose his disciples. He chooses five disciples um, from somewhere around here. And then he heads up here to Cana. All right? There's a story in the Bible about Jesus' first miracle. That's when that took place. He goes up to Cana for this wedding. After, after the wedding, then Jesus comes down here back to Jerusalem for Passover. And then after the Passover, he goes back home, uh, back home to Nazareth. But we also find out in the Bible that the people in Nazareth weren't excited about him being there. They didn't like the message he had started to preach. They didn't like the fact that he was claiming to be the son of God. So they tried to kill him. All right? So Jesus then leaves Nazareth and he moves up to Capernaum right there. All right. Now, up in Capernaum, that essentially becomes Jesus' headquarters. All right. For the next year to year and a half, Jesus lives in Capernaum and he travels around the cities of Galilee. That's all these cities right here. He travels around those cities and he's preaching his message. He's telling everyone he's the Son of God, he's doing miracles. He's preaching and he's teaching. Now, that is where we pick up Matthew chapter 11. During his time up here, actually, if we read Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. All right, so that's what he's doing in this passage. He's out there somewhere around those cities, and he's preaching and he's teaching. And then during that time, John the Baptist, who's in jail at this point, he sends his disciples up to Jesus, and he's got a question for Jesus through his disciples. He says, Jesus, are you the promised Messiah? Are you the one we're supposed to be waiting for? Or is there someone else that we should be looking for? Evidently, during that time, Jesus takes his disciples, and he does miracles in front of his disciples. Jesus, I mean, John's disciples. And... And he says in these, in these next verses there in Matthew 11, I won't read it to you, I'll just tell you what it says. He says, he says, the deaf hear and the blind see, 
and the lame walk, and the dead are raised, and those with leprosy are healed, and the poor had the good news preached to them. Go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. Then, in the next couple of verses after that, Jesus turns to the crowds that are listening to him because they've come out to hear him preach. And he says, there has been no one born among men here on earth that is greater than John the Baptist. Then Jesus turns his attention to the crowds that are listening to him speak and to preach. That's where we're going to pick up our passage. It's in Matthew chapter 11, starting verse 16. It says, To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. There's a common theme that runs through these verses I just read. And that theme is that generations, unrepentance, their decision not to follow Jesus because of all the excuses that they came up with. Jesus mentions their excuses here at the beginning of that passage. Let's go back to verse 17, it says, or 16, it says, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. This is what Jesus is describing there. He says, this generation that I've been preaching to, they're like children out in the streets. And one group of children says to another group of children, let's dance Let's make happy music and be happy and have fun. Let's pretend that we're at a wedding. And the second group of kids who are being, invi who are being invited to play, they say, no, we don't want to do that. So then the first group of kids say, okay, well, we want to play. So let's pretend that we're sad. Let's play sad music and pretend that we're at a funeral. And the second group of kids say, no, not interested. So then Jesus goes on and he says, God the Father sent John the Baptist to this generation, to this group of people. John lived out in the desert, out in the wilderness. He didn't eat with people and drink with people very much. He was out there preaching. He was wearing camel hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. And the people around him saw, saw him and said, man, that guy's crazy. That guy's possessed by a demon. There's no way we're listening to what that guy says. So then Jesus says, Then God the Father sent me to you, the Son of Man. 
and I came to you, and I ate with you, and I drank with you, and I went to your celebrations with you, and I became friends with you. And what did you say about me? Jesus, he's a drunk. He's a glutton. He's a friend of sinners. Look who he hangs out with. Listen to that guy. Look at the company he keeps. Right? Jesus is saying, this generation has their excuses. You always have an excuse for why you aren't going to obey and to follow me and obey the words of God. Right? He's saying, you always got an excuse. Friends, I know I'm preaching to the choir today. It's Thanksgiving weekend. You've been out shopping all weekend. Your feet are tired. But you came to church this morning. Maybe you have family in town. Maybe you came back home early to be in church this morning. I understand I'm preaching to the choir, but I can't help but think maybe someone is sitting here today. Right? And maybe you sit here almost every week. And you hear the messages. And you read the Bible, but you got an excuse. Dan, I come to church on Sundays because my spouse, my wife, or my husband, they want me here, and it's just a nice time as a family. But honestly, Dan, I don't really believe. Dan, we come to church on Sunday because we want our kids to learn about God because really that's only going to help down the road when they turn teenagers. But Dan, really, I don't really believe. There's a lot of excuses, lots of reasons why a person chooses not to believe, right? There's all kinds of reasons. Dan, the Bible was written 2,000, over 2,000 years ago. What's the Bible? What's an ancient book going to teach me about living my life today? I can't believe that. Dan, how am I going to follow a God I've never seen with my eyes? That makes no sense. How am I going to do that? Dan, I'm an analytical thinker. I like science. I need to have it proven to me. I got to know before I go. Right? Or the one I hear a lot, Dan, how am I supposed to follow Jesus? Look at his church. It's full of hypocrites. How am I supposed to follow? I can't be part of that. Right? All kinds of excuses. That's what Jesus was telling us, that generation. All kinds of excuses not to believe. And then Jesus goes ahead and he talks about the fate of those who live by their excuses. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon, by the way, are two... Uh, can we go to the map real quick? I'm going to keep her on, her on her toes here. Tyre and Sidon would have been cities right up here. Tyre would have been right around here, and Sidon would have been right up there at the top of the screen. Uh, they had the reputation for being very materialistic, uh, being idolizers, being prideful, right? In the Old Testament, there's even a prophecy against the city of Tyre because of its wickedness. Uh, and so he says, 
If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. All right, friends, if I just described you a few minutes ago, I am thrilled that you're here. Man, you keep coming back to Great Oaks every Sunday. We want you here. But I can't preach this message. I can't teach out of Matthew chapter 11 without drawing our attention to the fact that in these verses I just read twice, twice in like five or six verses, Jesus talks about a day of judgment. He does. He talks about a day of judgment. And that's not a common topic. And I'll be honest, a lot of preachers today don't want to stand up in front of a crowd that they want to come to church on Sunday mornings and talk about a day of judgment because we want to leave feeling good. But I can't preach out of Matthew chapter 11 and skip over that. Jesus mentioned that twice. Friends, everybody is going to stand before God someday and be accountable for their sins. And for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ was God's son who died on the cross for our sins and we've committed our life to following after him, we don't need to fear that day. Our sins are washed away because of what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection. Jesus took the punishment, but there are lots of people who are making excuses why they don't want to believe and no excuse is going to hold up on judgment day. If you believe that the Bible is God's word, right? That's something you've got to decide for yourself. Is this the living word of God or is it not? If so, there's a judgment day. My prayer, my hope, is that everyone sitting here is already, already accounted for their sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If not, man, friends, I hope today is your day. And if you're here this morning, and you're like, Dan, I just don't know what to do with Jesus. I don't know about all this. I don't pretend for one second to be able to convince you up here in a sermon who Jesus is. That's not my job. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to teach you Matthew chapter 11 today. But I do have a challenge for you this morning. If you're sincere... If you're still on the fence, you don't know what to do with Jesus, right? I mean, is this all true or is it not true? Then I have a challenge for you. It's simple. Maybe God will work through it. Maybe you won't. I don't know. But tonight or tomorrow, very soon, you set aside just a couple of hours and you read John, starting in chapter 1 through chapter 21. Read the whole thing. It's not that long. And every time you come across one of Jesus' claims about who he is, what he came for, what he wants to do, you circle it, you highlight it, you write it down, you do something with it, right? And you start to decide, is Jesus really who he said he was? Right? But before you start, before you open up the Bible and you turn to the book of John, right, you pray to God and say, God, show me what to do. Show me what to believe. I need your help. 
See what God says. See what he does. In the next few verses, the tone turns to a more joyful one. I think we're all glad about that. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay, so these crowds that have come out to listen to Jesus, right, to maybe be healed by him, to have a family member or a friend healed by him, right, and they're listening to him preach. Who are these crowds? These crowds are people from the cities of Galilee, and most of these crowds are made up of Jews, right? If not entirely Jews, mostly Jews. And some of these people are sincere. I mean, they're really sincere. They want to know God. But you know what? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law have been telling these people that for them to know God, that they've got to follow all the laws of the Old Testament, 613 of them. But not only 613 laws, sometimes there was confusion about what those laws really meant. So they made more laws to define the old laws. For an example, there was a law about the Sabbath, no work on the Sabbath. Great. But they, they were like, okay, but what's work? What should I define as work? So then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they define work. And they say, you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath day. You can only travel so far from home on the Sabbath day. And you can only carry so much weight on the Sabbath day, right? That's one law. Imagine all 613 laws. How many laws do these people eventually end up having? A lot of laws. Like thousands, I guess. It goes on and on and on. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were telling these people, you've got to follow these laws. You've got to follow these laws. If you want to know God, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to follow every one of these laws. And some of these people who came out to Jesus, man, they're feeling that weight. They've got this burden put on their shoulders by these Pharisees, these teachers who were telling them lies. Right? Jesus was not happy about those Pharisees and their teachings. If you want to find out how, un how unhappy he was, read Matthew chapter 23 sometime. Wow. In no uncertain terms, Jesus voices his displeasure. One of those verses is verse 4, Matthew 23, verse 4. I think we have it on the screen. It says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but, then, but they themselves are not willing to move, uh, willing to move them with their finger, right? Jesus is talking about this incredible weight that these Pharisees have put on these people who want to know God. 
So here we have these Jews coming out to listen to Jesus, and they're trying to have a relationship with God based on obligation and not worship. Obligation. Got to do this. I have to do this. I need to do this. And Jesus comes to him and says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Wow. Imagine what those people were feeling. Friends, I got a question. What is your relationship with God built on? Is it built on obligation? Or is it built on worship? How do you know the difference between the two? Friends, if you find yourself using the words, I have to and I need to a lot in terms of your spiritual life, that might be an indicator that your relationship with God is focused on obligation instead of worship. I'm not discrediting a sense of responsible choices, okay, that the mature Christian makes, okay? That, that's not what I'm saying. But if you're all the time saying, I have to, I need to, instead of I get to and I want to, it may be more obligation-centered than worship-centered. Let me illustrate it to you like this. I like to listen to talk radio shows sometime. And there's this one I used to listen to. I hardly hear it anymore, but it's focused on, on helping people uh, uh, be good stewards with their money, right? How to, how to money, manage your money as a Christian, right? And so I would listen to the show sometimes. And there's a few times I was listening and someone calls up to talk to the host, right? People call up with their money questions and they ask questions. And uh, there's a couple times I, I heard the same question by two, by two different people, all right? And it went something like this, okay? This is, I heard this a while back, but it went something like this. Okay? The guy calls up. We'll call him Bob. Okay, so Bob calls up. And, and the host says, yeah, Bob, you're on the air. Yeah, this is Bob. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. And I got a question. And he says, I just inherited $100,000 from my grandma. Just inherited $100,000 from my grandma. Do I need to tithe off that? And I'm thinking, Bob, really? Obligation versus worship. If I'm that talk show host, and I'm not nearly smart enough to be a talk show host, for sure. But if I was that talk show host, I'd say, no, Bob. No, Bob. You don't need to tithe off that money. God doesn't need your money. Gave you that money to start with. You don't need to tithe off that money. Bob, the better question is, do I get to tithe that money? The better phone call would have been for Bob to call up and say, yeah, this is Bob. I just inherited $100,000 from my grandma. I get to give back. I don't have any questions for the host today. I just want to tell you, I get to give back $10,000 of it to God to show him how much I love him. Do you have to, do you need to, or do you want to, and do you get to? And friends, that, that can apply to almost everything. Do you have to go to church Sunday mornings? You don't have to go to church Sunday mornings. God's going to love you just the same anyway, right? 
But for the life of me, I can't understand why you wouldn't. No athlete or no coach or no one else has died for your sins on the cross. Do I have to be in a Bible study? You don't have to be in a Bible study. God's going to love you just the same. But why wouldn't you want to spend time with a group of Christians coming to learn about your Savior? Do you have to? Do you need to? Or do you want to and do you get to? Obligation versus worship. And these people who were coming to Jesus, man, it was all about obligation. I have to do this. I have to do this for God to love me, for God to bless me, for me to have a relationship with God. That's what they've been teaching me. I got to do this. I got to do this. And man, they're just burdened down. And Jesus comes to him and says, oh man, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, anyone tired this morning? Not tired from a long weekend of shopping. Right? Not tired from your to-do list. I'm talking spiritually tired. Is there anyone here today who's been living a life of obligation in your relationship with God? I have to. i got to do this. I need to do this for God to love me. I've got to do this if God's going to bless me. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. Jesus says today, man, come to me. Just come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Think about that. Friends, everybody wears a yoke. Everybody wears a yoke. And there are people in this world, oh, not me. I'm free. I am untethered to anybody or everybody, and I'm my own man. No. No. Everybody wears a yoke. Ever since Adam and Eve chose to rebel in the garden, every mankind born wears a yoke. It's either the yoke to the flesh, the pride of life. It's a yoke to the world. It could be a yoke to the devil himself. Or a yoke to Jesus Christ. And the good news is God gives us a choice. What yoke are we going to wear? We get to choose. We get to choose. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. He's inviting us to be his disciples. He's inviting us to learn from him, to experience his feeling in our life, to be trained by him. And as we do, he's saying, it's a process. You learn from me and you will begin to understand. I come to give you freedom and rest and hope. And not laws and rules and regulations.
Friend, I'm going to ask you again. Anyone here tired this morning? Tired from living a life of obligation in your walk with God as opposed to tired of living a life of worship and praise and freedom. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes. As we sing that song, if God's speaking to you today through this passage and you come in and you're wearing that yoke, that yoke of a burden, I've got to please God every day or he's not going to love me. I've got to please every day, God every day. He's not going to bless me. I won't be able to know him or hear from him. Man, take that yoke off. And understand, God loves you today no matter what you do, where you go. But the more you are filled with his spirit, the more you spend time with him, and you become his disciple, you're going to find out he gives you amazing rest and hope and joy. What yoke are you wearing? If you're wearing that yoke, that yoke that says, man, I got to, I need to, as opposed to I want to, I get to. I ask you today, if God's speaking to you, take it off today. Take off the yoke. Throw it on the ground. Let it get swept up with the other yokes. Thrown in the garbage. Put on that yoke of Christ that says, I love you unconditionally. You no longer have to try to please me with your actions. actions. But as you get to know me, you're going to want to please me more. Because I love you. But if you make that choice today, I want you to write it down on a piece of paper. Write down November 29th, 2015. I took the yoke off the yoke of obligation and I put the yoke of Christ on where I get to express my love and freedom and I want to do that more and more every day. Write it down today. Put it in the Bible. Put it in your journal. Do something with it because friends, I guarantee you, as sure as I'm standing here today, you are in a spiritual warfare and the devil knows. He will find out and he's going to come to you and say, that's not true. That's not true. That choice you made, that wasn't real. You've got to please God by being good enough. You've got to please him by doing these things or else he's not going to love you. And you know what? You can never do it, right? And the devil's going to come to you and say, no. No, I took that yoke off. I took it off on November 29th. And I put the yoke of Christ on my life. And now I get to serve him out of love and obedience and just worship. Write it down, friends. I'm going to ask that you stand with us. As soon as we're done singing, I'm going to come back up and close this in prayer.
Take it by.